So tonight's message might be a little bit of a case of be careful what you wish for. Um, because a few weeks ago, uh, for those who were with us, uh, we sat around Butcher's paper um, and we considered the strengths and the weaknesses and the opportunities and the threats for this faith community that we call Found. And one of the weaknesses and consequently an opportunity that was identified amongst a couple of the groups, which, which was quite interesting to me, was uh, around um, Bible teaching and biblical fundamentals. And so this message tonight is kind of just a beginning to try and start to address that gap, I guess, or what is a perceived weakness. And so a good place to start with Bible teaching and with biblical fundamentals is to consider a question that you may not have ever considered before. Uh, and it's a question posed actually in a recent book by Rob Bell called What is the Bible? And the question is this, how did Jesus read the Bible? How did Jesus read the Bible? And he frames his approach to this question around three key words, interpretation, incarnation, and invitation. So firstly, a bit about interpretation. Now, this probably won't come as a surprise to you, but in Jesus' day, no one had a Bible. Partly because half of what we know as the Bible wasn't even written yet, but also because people didn't actually own books. The, the invention of the printing press was probably a good 1,400 years away. And so what people read were scrolls. And scrolls were kind of rare. In a village like the one uh, that Jesus would have lived in, there would have been just a few sacred scrolls and they uh, would have been kept in the local synagogue and um, the scrolls were of the prophets' writings, so of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Um, there were what was called the wisdom writings, such as the book of Job and the book of Proverbs and the book of Ecclesiastes. Uh, there was what was called the history writings, which is, uh, for example, the, the books of the kings. And then there would have been the Torah. And uh, the Torah was what we know as the first five books of the Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers and Deuteronomy. And then what would happen is that on the Sabbath, you'd go to the synagogue in your village and the worship leader would, would take out the scroll of the Torah and someone would be designated to read that day's portion of scripture, along with uh, readings from other writings, most likely from the prophets. And then there would have been commentary, and then there would have been uh, discussion about, about what it means, what, what they were talking about, what they were describing, and there would have then been conversation about how you live that. And everybody joined in. This was a communal experience. It was assumed that you had questions. It was assumed that you had an opinion. It was uh, expected. And the reason was, was because questions meant that you cared. Questions meant that you were engaged with what was being said. Questions meant uh, that you were interested in the text. And so, in the first century of Jesus' time, the Torah, the prophets, the history and the wisdom writings essentially kicked off the discussion. People read it together. It was, as I said, a communal experience. And then what happened was that once you'd engaged with it, you interpreted it. But not necessarily interpretation in the way that we would say that this is the singular 
politically correct and the only answer in response to that scripture. They, they turned it over and over. They considered it from every single possible angle. And then when they thought they'd considered it enough, they kind of considered it again. And so in Jesus' time, this was not necessarily so much about being right. This was not necessarily about coming up with the single answer. It was about life. It was about how do you live? How, how do you treat people? How do you conduct your day to day? And so when we read that people came to Jesus and asked him questions, they're essentially interested in his interpretation of scripture. They're interested in his interpretation of the Torah, which is why uh, what we see in response is that he often answers a question with a question. His response is often, how do you read it? How do you interpret it? What do you think it says? And so these texts were still absolutely deemed to be sacred. They were still deemed to be beautiful and foundational. But in many ways, they were there to help the people of the time to try and understand the relationship between heaven and earth. They were there to try and understand the relationship between humanity and the divine. It was about trying to understand the nature of God and essentially the nature of what it meant to be human. And so you read it, uh, your community read it, you interpreted it, and then you made decisions about what it meant to love your neighbor and how to honor life and about uh, how to navigate the holy and the mysterious and the divine. And so the assumption was that there was always something new to learn. There was always something new to discuss. There was always something new to consider and to talk about. And so in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, which Jemima read for us, uh, there's a large crowd that's gathered. And, and it's in a passage of text that, that we know as the Sermon on the Mount. And in the midst of that message, Jesus tells them that not only has he not come to abolish the law or the prophets, but he's come to fulfill them. And so that language, abolishing and fulfilling, were actually common ways of speaking about the Torah in Jesus' day. And so when people were uh, discussing scripture and trying to figure out uh, what it looks like to live it out, if someone suggested an interpretation uh, of scripture that was almost destructive, that would essentially, uh, in the Jewish understanding, lead to death, either theirs or someone else's, then they would be told, well, hang on, you've abolished the Torah. How can that be your interpretation? You've essentially abolished it. But if there was some agreement on what people were saying in terms of how they interpreted what was being read out, that this was, yes, probably how it looks like to, to live it out, then you'd say, yeah, you've, you've fulfilled the Torah. Because essentially that was the goal. The goal was to take the words and to kind of bring them to life in your life. And so that's what we mean by the word incarnation. It's not just about the words, it's about this kind of powerful, mysterious thing that happens when the words are acted out in the real world by real people. And so when Jesus comes along and says that he's come to fulfill the Torah, he's announcing that he's come to bring it to life. He's announcing this movement from word to flesh to show what it actually looks like in real space and in real time, to, to demonstrate, to show people kind of how to interpret and how to live it. And so then what happens in that same passage of scripture 
according to Matthew, is that Jesus launches into this kind of series of teachings that have this kind of set pattern. So he says, you've heard that it was said X, but I tell you Y, which was kind of Jesus' way of saying, you've heard people interpret the Torah this way, but I'm here to offer another way to interpret it and another way to incarnate it. You've heard that it was said in Scripture, in the Bible, that you shall not murder and murderers will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or a sister will be subject to judgment. This is Jesus talking. So, and Jesus continues from that point, go and forgive. Go and make reparations. Go and reconcile your relationship with that person because you need to do that before you come and worship in the temple. He takes what is in Scripture, in the Bible, and he challenges people with how to read it. He challenges people with how to interpret it. He challenges people with how to outwork it in their life. He challenges interpretations of how to treat people essentially against the letter of the law. And then he proposes what in many ways for that time and possibly ours would have been a radical interpretation of Scripture. So Jesus says that the fulfillment of the law looks like, the fulfillment of the Torah and the prophets, the fulfillment of Scripture looks like forgiveness and reconciliation. Jesus says that the fulfillment of Scripture looks like men treating women differently. And more than that, men changing how they even think about women. Jesus says that fulfillment of Scripture looks like fidelity and looks like commitment. Jesus says that fulfillment of Scripture looks like being clear and transparent about our responses and making good on our commitments. Jesus says that fulfillment of Scripture looks like not fighting fire with fire, not taking revenge, but instead loving our enemy and praying for and blessing those who persecute us. So as a Christian, I think one of the most important questions that we can ask about any topic, any theme, any event in the Bible, in Scripture, is how did Jesus interpret it? How did Jesus then incarnate that interpretation? But when I think about that, that question and the potential answer to that, I have to wonder whether we only pose that question if we agree with the incarnation of that. If if Jesus' response to Scripture is kind of palatable to our own. Because if it's not, then what happens, and I'm guilty of this myself, but we see it all the time in social media conversation, is that we quote Scripture as though it's kind of more infallible than the risen Christ. And so played out today, Scripture is frequently used to shut down conversation. It's frequently used to shut down questions. It's kind of this response to, yes, Jesus, but the Torah says this. But what we kind of understand from Torah is that it was there to kick off the discussion. It wasn't there to shut it down. And so I think, and I've kind of been staying off social media a lot of late. Every time I wade in, I get in trouble. But um, my kind of great lament and what I witness is that Frequently, the Bible is just used to end the discussion. It's quoted and it's framed by people to shut things down. It's used to shame people and it's used to exclude people and it's used to marginalize people and to the point that I think 
that people then wonder why they even dared to pose the question in the first place. And, you know, we can kind of take this question of how did Jesus interpret and incarnate scripture and answer questions like, well, hang on, the Bible's so violent and there's so many wars, war is justified. Well, how did Jesus interpret and incarnate that? Well, Jesus' response to violence, Jesus' response to a violent torture, Jesus' response to an execution at the hands of the Romans on a cross was not to retaliate, was not to start a violent revolution. Instead, what we understand is that he came to bring an end to violence. Whenever there's a group of people that have been shunned or marginalized because of interpretation of the Torah, then what we see is that Jesus moves to embrace them and to, uh, to gather them up and move towards them. Whenever there's uh, a distinction between, uh, again, from interpretation of scripture, people who are clean and unclean, then what we see is that Jesus touches them and hugs them and, and blesses them you know, what about, what about all those passages in the scripture that say particular groups of people are going to be judged more harshly by God than others? Again, Jesus intentionally mentions numbers of these groups. He, he mentions, for example, the Sidonians, and he says about that group of people who, who are deemed to be lost, completely lost in that time, that they'll actually be better off than the religious people who think that they're kind of in and everyone else is out. And so what we see and what we know is that Jesus clearly does not follow the dominant interpretation of the scripture of his day. But he also doesn't say that he's throwing scripture out. He's very clear about that. What he's saying is rethink. Rethink how you interpret scripture. Rethink how you incarnate scripture. Now let's take this one step further. So Jesus wasn't just making new interpretations. He was also claiming something. He was also claiming that something new was happening in humanity and, and something new was happening in the world. And he, more than that, he was claiming that it was happening through him. That's essentially why they take him outside of the village and they try to stone him to death and kill him. He, he's not just saying... He's not at all saying that the Torah and the prophets and the writings are irrelevant. What he's saying is that they've taken on flesh and blood in him. They're very radical claims, very bold claims for a rabbi to make. Absolutely. One of the first followers of Jesus, a man named John, includes this line in the opening chapter of his gospel. And it's from the message translation, and it says this, the word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. Last week, and this is why I stay off social media, the man who wrote uh, that Bible translation was openly vilified and openly threatened because he dared to question his own interpretation and his own incarnation of how he should respond to and engage with the LGBTI community. People who have historically been excluded, people who have historically been judged unclean, people who have historically been threatened with the fires of hell. And then sadly, he retracted those statements. But I kind of wonder what if. 
What if he wasn't threatened with the end of his publishing deal? What if Christian bookstores hadn't threatened to cease selling his book? What if so many people hadn't openly questioned his entire faith and his entire contribution to the body of Christ? And instead, what if we dared to engage? What if we dared to question? What if we dared to let Eugene Peterson's own questions and own interpretation and own incarnation be the beginning of the conversation rather than the end of it? The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. There are so many profound questions that this raises. Questions such as, can the divine and humanity exist in the same place? Questions such as, what might it mean to actually live out scripture rather than using it as a means of kind of keeping people in line? Questions such as, why do we feel so threatened by Jesus' interpretation and incarnation of Scripture? Questions that really cause us to consider the very nature of what it means to be human in the context of the divine. Jesus said that he came to put flesh and blood on Scripture. He offers new interpretations, he, he incarnates that interpretation, and then he challenges us to enter into discussion and to live differently. Interpretation, incarnation, and next week we're going to talk a bit about invitation. Why don't you pray with me and then we'll get into the conversation.